0: Welcome, welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer. It's good to be with you this morning. Wherever you're at today, we're glad you're here. I'm Jim and serve as a pastor here and also as the host for worship this morning, this online experience. We're so glad, so excited, so thankful to be able to gather, to be able to gather as a church, even at a distance. Today, we're continuing our series called Together. Together as we explore what a Jesus-centered church is like what that kind of church is and what our role is in building this kind of church. Pastor Jason's gonna lead us. It's gonna be a great experience and we're excited to have you with us. This week, we're really excited about Vacation Bible School block parties. This year, instead of all the kids by the hundreds coming to the Schweitzer campus, we're going to the neighborhoods to houses to host families, to celebrate Jesus Christ and have a lot of fun with the kids. You can sign up your kids beginning this week, actually tomorrow, the first uh, Vacation Bible School. I like to call them mini camps are beginning and then they're throughout July. So go to the website, sumc.co slash VBS to sign your, your child up, your kid, grandkid, neighbors. We all have a part. It's going to be a, a Great time, a lot of fun. Also, if you'd like to be a helper or a host, it's not too late, go to the same website and sign up to to do that. We all have a part in Vacation Bible School. We're also looking forward to next Sunday and celebrating Holy Communion again. We'll celebrate communion together. For our online community, we just ask that you be be ready, have your bread and cup, be prepared as we celebrate uh, Holy Communion together. And for those of us who are uh, worshiping in person, We invite you to to come as well, and on your way in, you'll receive an individual communion serving. And then when you get to your seats, we'll celebrate in our seats, communion together. And if you'd like, whether you're uh, worshiping online or in person, if you'd like to receive that uh, prepackaged communion, the elements, you can do that by coming by the office Monday through Friday, 9 to 4, and pick up your communion elements. We also invite you to engage today. There's a chat feature on your screen. You can say hello to your friends and tell us what's on your mind. Also, you can receive private confidential prayer by hitting the prayer button and uh, someone will pray with you today. We would love to pray with you. And now, now let's worship together. Let's celebrate life and God together.
1: Wake me from my sleep, blow through the caverns of my soul.
0: As we come to this time of prayer, we thank God for the gift of prayer, for the relationship we have with God and how prayer deepens that relationship with God and others. It matters, prayer matters. Today, Pastor Jason is going to preach and teach from scripture that tells us that we are known by the spirit God gives us. We know that God lives in us by the spirit God gives us. So today I invite us to receive a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit We'll ask God to receive God's spirit, a spirit of faith, hope and love, of compassion and mercy and God's grace, which is an active force of love in the world as we engage with God. And so let's uh, let's pray uh, for God's spirit to be with us and to fill us. We thank God for God's spirit and now I invite us to continue to pray together in a way that uh, that we live out the, uh, the ministry and mission that God gives us. Paul tells us in his letter to the church at Corinth that we have the ministry of reconciliation that is in restoring God's goodness to the earth and to all relationships. So today I invite us to be specific about our relationships, whether that's in our marriage, our families, our neighborhoods. nation, the world, whatever it is uh, for you, uh, be specific, but let's be people who pray for restoration and bringing God's goodness into the world. Let's pray together. Holy God, gracious God, and kind, kind Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, our foundation in this life and life eternal. And God, we thank you for the relationships that you give us. And we pray for your grace to to live fully in us. Again, to be people who, who live in your will and that we would see where restoration needs to happen. And God, that we would step in that gap with you Uh, really believing, God, in your power. We humble ourselves in serving you. We look to you. We need you. We need your grace. We need your grace and compassion and love uh, in all that we do. Holy God, we love you and we praise you. And now we pray the prayer that you taught us, Lord, with assurance and confidence as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we want to thank you for your generosity, your giving. We're receiving gifts from all over the country, and it's really, really cool. We really thank you for uh, all you're doing to, to bring the, the kingdom of God to this uh, very earth and to our communities. We thank you for your restoring lives through your giving, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God loves a cheerful giver that reflects God's goodness and God's character and God's nature And Schweitzer and uh, here locally and beyond, our online community. Uh, You are changing the world through your generosity, and we are grateful. We believe in the power of stories, and each week this year here at Schweitzer, we're telling stories, God's stories, where God is intersecting with lives, transforming lives, God's power and presence is in, uh, in the very lives of people we know that are connected to Schweitzer in some way. Today, we're going to hear from Diane Joy, a friend and a colleague in ministry for a long time. We thank God for Diane, and, and let's hear her powerful story.
2: So um, I've been with Schweitzer for about 15 years now, and I was currently helping with the youth, um, and uh, I've kind of had my hands in just about everything around here. Um, So I started drinking when I was in junior high. Um, My friends and I, you know, it was was kind of a fun thing to do at the time. Uh, We weren't supposed to do it, so we did it. Um, And so that progressed into high school, and the parties got bigger, and um, as time went on, I started to get depressed, and so I drank more, and uh, started with more uh, destructive behavior. And um, before I knew it, um, I was contemplating suicide, and um, I developed an eating disorder, And I really just hated myself. So one day I was watching TV and I was flipping through the channels and um, I came across a gentleman that was talking about Jesus. So I stopped and listened and uh, he started to tell me that Jesus loved me. And he started to tell me uh, that there was nothing I could do that uh, made Jesus not love me back. And um, asked me, this kind stranger on TV looked right at me and asked me if I was ready to live a different life, if I was tired of where I was at. And I remember I just started to cry because I was so deeply uh, depressed and saddened and I just wanted to be happy and I knew there had to be more. I started to pray with this gentleman on TV and as I did, I started to feel this warmth just sweep over me. And before I knew it, I was flat on my back and I was completely wet from head to toe and I realized what had happened. The Holy Spirit had come and swept over me and washed me away from all my sins. So from that time on, things um, that have happened for me and my family can only be explained by Jesus. And, um, you know, it hasn't been easy. There's been some super tough times. We've had great losses. But the thing that is different now is that I know that I don't have to go about this alone, that Jesus is here and that He loves me and He loves my family and He wants the best for us. So if we just lean on Him, He will set us free. And so I can say right now, to this day, I do not fear. No matter what happens, I refuse to let fear win. So I'm here to say that if you are fearful, lean on Jesus. He wants you to lean on Him. My name is Diane Joy, and this is just the beginning
3: of my story. Hello and welcome to worship and this continuation of our sermon series Together One Community Bound by Jesus that comes to us from the New Testament letter we call 1 John. If you've got a Bible with you I'd like to invite you to open it up to, verse, or to chapter 2 verse 28. We'll start there and we're going to read through all of chapter 3. I'll be using the message version. Let's read together. And now children stay with Christ Live deeply in Christ, then we'll be ready for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Once you've convinced or once you're convinced that he is right and righteous, you'll recognize that all who practice righteousness are God's true children. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus's life as a model for our own. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. No one who believes deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So, my dear children, don't let people divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right, just as we see it lived out in our own righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in practice, uh, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God, don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. It's not the nature of God begotten to practice and parade sin. Here's how we tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteousness, righteous ways, isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. A simple test. For this is the original message we heard. We should love each other. We must not be like Cain, who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil, while the acts of his brother were righteous. So don't be surprised, friends, when the world hates you. This has been going on a long time. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together. This is how we've come to understand the experience of love. Christ sacrificed his love for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. It's a profound statement right there. My dear children, let's not just talk about love, but let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts. And knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once he's taken care, once that's taken care of, and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we ask for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other. In line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the Spirit he gave us. The Word of God for the people of God and the people of the world. Thanks be to God. This past uh, spring, in the place where I'm standing right now in Springfield, Missouri, on the campus of Schweitzer, In March, there was a graduation ceremony that was held. Graduation ceremony for a ministry that we host here called Jobs for Life. It was the 21st or 22nd graduation that we held. And the graduation brings to a culmination an experience that takes place for eight weeks in 16 different classes. Jobs for Life is a a ministry that connects with people who are at a place in life where they wanna increase their job readiness. They wanna increase their employability. And Jobs for Life speaks deeply to their hearts. It speaks deeply to the pathway, the vocational pathway that they've been on. It talks about how there's somebody who's valued by God and by others. And they have something of value to bring to the workplace and how work is, is valuable in and of itself. It was a great joy. It's always a great joy when I'm able to come and be a part of those graduations. Over the course of the past several years, we've seen over 140 people go through the Jobs for Life experience and graduate. And of those, 70% have found great success a year after they've gone through the experience. But at that moment, at the Jobs for Life graduation, we had just started into Lent. And all of the Lenten stories were beginning to take a, a place in my own heart and mind. And down at the front of the sanctuary, the graduating space, the graduates came up for a moment and they were partnered with their mentors or their champions. And each of the mentors and the students say something about one another and those are always inspiring stories. But there was one couple, a mentor who was an older woman and a young man who came to the forefront. And the old mentor, older mentor, began to talk about her, her experience and how this was her first time, and what she encountered when she met this student who, who she would serve as a, a mentor to. At the end of her story, she said, I really came to love him as a son, a son that I, my own son is distant from me at this moment, but here is somebody who I've come to love as a son. And then the student spoke. And he talked about his experience in Jobs for Life and about all of the hurdles that he had to to get across and the things that they talked about. And how he found in this mentor a new mom, a mom who poured out of her own life into his. And there was new life beginning to emerge. As I sat there, I listened to their story. In the season of Lent, it took me to the place of the cross where Jesus is on the cross, and he looks down, and he sees below him his beloved disciple, Mary, his mother. And he says to them both, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And in the community that Jesus creates, there is a new reality where people who are not born in the same families find a new community and a new family, and we become somebody and we become people who are bound to one another in love. As John the Apostle takes up his pen to write to a church, he takes up with this whole experience in the background of his mind. It's setting the stage for what he longs for, for every church to experience, for what he longs for you and me to experience. And he says, in the midst of it, we are to be people who love. We are to let love be a practice that grips us all the way through our life. The reason John speaks about love so much in this letter is because the church that he's writing to, as a number of scholars have understood, the church that he's writing to is not experiencing fellowship. It's not experiencing love. Luke Timothy Johnson, a New Testament scholar, suggested that what was happening in the church, maybe the church at Ephesus or another church in in Asia Minor at the time, suggested that what was happening is a stark contrast to the experience that John felt, both in the upper room and at the foot of the cross of Jesus. In In those places, there was a common sharing in the spirit. There was a fellowship and unity of love. There was a deep abiding presence of God and abiding truly with one another and for one another. They were together. But by the time that this letter is written, the church in many places was fractured. There were disagreements over who Jesus was, not just in his humanity, but also in the the sense of his divinity. There were disagreements within the church over how to engage the law of scriptures and the synagogue. A big section of the text we read today reveals that there were some who believed that they needed to confess Jesus with their mouths. They believed that deeply, and yet they kept going with their way of life as they had always gone. Instead of dying to the old way of life in baptism and being raised to a new kind of life, they put on the cloak of forgiveness. They took on the name of being a Christian, even while living in the ways of sin and death. John really forthrightly says, this cannot go on. The life that Jesus calls us to is a life to be embarked upon as the children of God. John found, in the experience there in the, in the church in Asia Minor, he found much of the same kind of experience that we find today. There are arguments, deep arguments, among people who are meant to love and care for one another deeply. John found factions here and there to the left and to the right. And each faction said something that was true. And yet each faction said things that missed the mark wildly. John had experienced the glory of Christ. He had experienced what it was like to have the togetherness of Christ and be with one another. And he wanted his readers and us to experience it as well. And so there was an invitation. There was an invitation to all who heard this letter to be people who not only believed, but lived deeply and loved deeply like Christ. And so John, in this letter, in this section that we've read today, four different times, at least in the way that the message has taken the translations and put it for us, four different times it says, live deeply in Christ. This is an appeal to what John says back in John 15, where where we hear Jesus say, abide in me and I'll abide in you. John says, we are meant to be people who live deeply in Christ, and he talks about a new reality that is set out in front of us. We're meant to live as children of God. It's a a title, it's a station, it's a function that is meant to to embrace us, and he says, what it is to live as children of God is not yet fully known, but it's, it's something that's a gift that comes to us from God. It's a work of God in our hearts. When we say yes to Christ, God God says, you are my child, he claims us, and he begins to do a work within us. And so as children of God, there are some things that John calls out from us. He says, we're not supposed to make a practice of sin or or of sinning, but we're to have the practice of living the life of Jesus. And there is a new reality that is in front of us. And so there is an invitation, if you will, to explore what is it like, what is it like to live the life of Christ? To do that, one of the things that we we must do, we must embark upon ourselves, is, is to hear the stories of Jesus and to be connected to the community that Jesus loves. Because in that place, we're reminded what Jesus did and what Jesus said. We hear Jesus's words that were said so many years ago, spoken freshly when they come to us from a brother or sister who cares for us when we tell our own stories. And so there's this, this call to explore what it means to live as children of God. At the same time that we're called to explore that, we hear this urging from John in this, in this part. Don't just say you're abiding in Christ, but abiding in Christ calls us to love each other. Let's read these words from John 3, 16 through 18 again. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. That's, this is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just uh, and not just be out for ourselves. If you see your brother or sister in need and have no means and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love, but let's practice real love. Earlier, right before we heard those uh, verses, John talked about Cain. And Cain is, is a character throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout all kinds of other literature of the time who's an example of somebody who lives out of envy and selfish desires and eventually hate and then murder. And John says, there are many of us who even in this moment can live like that. And yet Jesus calls us to a different reality, to a different way of expressing life, and that is to love one another. And John shows us what love looks like by speaking about Jesus, who, who understands us. Uh, but by speaking about Jesus, who sacrificed his love for us. When we think about the life that Jesus lived, about how he loved his people, when they didn't love him, about how he stood by people who would, in the midst of great catastrophe, would flee from him, how he loved his people even though they fell asleep when he asked them to stay awake and pray. Jesus loved his people and his friends, and he went all the way to the cross. And so John sets Jesus up as a picture of what it means to love deeply, not with necessarily emotion or feeling, but to love deeply so much that we lay everything on the line for our sisters and brothers. Now one of the other things that John says in here, not only does Jesus sacrifice for us, but he talks about how if we see a brother or sister in need, we need to do something. One of the things that we often will pass over very quickly is that idea of seeing a brother or sister, seeing somebody so that we are are motivated to care and to act. When you think about the stories of Jesus, you think about the stories that John himself tells in the Gospel of John, we note that Jesus sees people, often sees people that other people don't see. When they come to a well in John chapter 4, Jesus sees a woman at the well that everybody else has passed by. People don't want to talk to. Jesus sees the woman and he begins to engage her. In John 8, Jesus sees a woman who's been caught in adultery, but he doesn't see her just as somebody who's been caught in adultery. He sees a woman who's standing before him. And who's definitely outside of the community, but who needs to find a way into the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus comes to him at night, he's a a leader of the synagogue, but he's been hearing stories about this Jesus. He comes to him to find out more. Jesus doesn't just see Nicodemus as a leader of the synagogue, as a teacher of the law. Jesus sees Nicodemus as as a son, that somebody who longs to connect with God and to know God more deeply, and who's wrestling with some great questions. When Jesus passes through the city of Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem, he notices that there's a tax collector who's also heard the stories, and heard about the miracles, and is wondering, and he sees Zacchaeus way up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. You see, Jesus sees, and he cares. He's committed living his life as a life of love, as a life of sacrifice for other people. And then he sees what the need is around him. and He listens and he cares and he acts. And we're called to act. We're called to act. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, in a little book called Life Together, says that when we look at Christ and when we abide in Christ, Christ will tell us what love towards others is meant to look like. Christ. Um, will help us originate what love in action is. And Christ's love will move me to love even my enemy as a brother or sister. John goes on. After calling us to be people who act out of the love of Christ that's been given to us, he says there are fruits for loving. There are fruits that meet us along the way. One of the beautiful things he says here is that there will be a shutting down of debilitating self-criticism when we act. Have you ever noticed, friends, that when you act on behalf of somebody else, that suddenly the cares that you've been carrying, the burdens that you've been thinking about, all of the worries you've had somehow take a back seat? Because when we act in love like Christ for somebody else, there is a shutting down of self-criticism. John also says that there's going to be confidence with God. There will be not only this deep abiding presence, but there will be a confidence when we say our prayers, when we speak to the Father on behalf of other people. There is just simply a confidence. Not only about today, but also about when we stand before God and God reconciles all things that have happened in the world. When we stand before God, there is a confidence that we have loved like Christ. And he says, there's a unity of the Spirit. And a fellowship that meets the sisters and brothers that meets us today when, when we say yes to Christ and we begin to live as he, is, as, as he lived. We begin to love as Jesus loved. And we begin to love with sacrificial acts. Great things come of it. This last week, uh, I sat in on a Bible study that was led by Dr. John Perkins. Dr. John Perkins is a man who's lived a long life. He's 90 years old, and he's got a lot of friends. And so he'd invited Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California to lead a Bible study, and Pastor uh, Dr. John Perkins would host it. And in the midst of that Bible study, John Perkins, who's seen a lot of life, who at the age of 40 experienced all of the, the ramifications of racism down in Jackson, Tennessee, or Jackson, Mississippi, who experienced all of the ramification of racism and the hatred that could come of it, but who yet whose life was marked by the mark of Christ and who's devoted his life to seeing the fullness of love lived out in all kinds of ways so that all kinds of people can be reconciled. Dr. John Perkins still wrestling with the things we wrestle with today. You know, he said, faith is a mustard seed. And what we're really called to, we're called to be doing a little of it. We're called to be living out love in little ways. And faith and love are mustard seeds. And they will grow into some things that we never envision. But they will grow into a beloved and beautiful community. Dr. John Perkins reminded me that love in action goes a long way. A couple of weeks ago, there was a Sunday school class here at Schweitzer called the Navigators class. They had been meeting virtually during this time of COVID, and yet they decided that they needed to do some action. I think they've been studying this idea that if we really want community, we've got to put our shoulders together and we've got to live out the life of Christ in the places where we're at. And so they came together for a moment at the coach house here on the Schweitzer campus, The coach house is a transitional home for women where they can come and they can stay for up to six months and they can put some things in order so that they can move on to the next best place for them. So the navigators class came and they gathered up a bunch of brush and they began to do some things around the property just to care for the property and to care for the women who were inside. Their small act of care reminds me about all the, the women who've gone through the coach house about how there's been a host of small acts that have touched their lives and the kind of transformation that is taking place there. Small acts go a long way to shaping and reshaping the communities that we live in. Small acts of love. As I watched and heard the stories of our Sunday School class, it reminded me of a small act of love that I encountered a couple years ago in Chicago. In 1983, there was a woman by the name of Ellen Thompson who noticed that in her northwest neighborhood of Chicago, there were a bunch of young moms that had nowhere to call home, and they had no fund to to handle the expenses of having a newborn child. And so she was moved by love. She picked up diapers and formula, and she carried them around in the trunk of her car. And when she saw moms walking down the sidewalks with that that sense that they had no place to go, she'd pull over and she would engage them in conversation. She would, as Jesus did, she saw people. She began to ask, who were they? What were they up to? Where were they going? What did they need? Before long, Ellen Thompson found herself at a hospital. And she found that this hospital served all kinds of women. Mostly it just helped them have their babies. But before, right after they had their babies, they would have to leave And Ellen said, well, what can I do? And the women at the hospital said, the nurses at the hospital said, you, you're not trained as a social worker, but you would help us if you would go and you would visit these new moms that give birth. And so Ellen began to do that. And out of that small act of love, there is a ministry today that looks profoundly different from that, that car tooling around Chicago with diapers and formula in the back end. There's a a couple of big buildings where new moms come and stay. And like the Jobs for Life class, they take classes that help put them on a better track in life. They hear about the transforming power of Christ. What they really do is they experience love in action. Today, friends, our world needs love in action. Sometimes it needs us to sit with Christ first before we act and to listen deeply to Christ. But as we do, as we do, I am convinced that the Lord will begin to point out to us people, brothers and sisters who are around us. We may not know their names, but they are sisters and brothers to us that we need to take up some sort of self-sacrificial action for. So what's that action that God is asking you to partake of? Who is God pointing out to you? Who is God naming to you and showing you? Abiding in Christ, when God names the person and God touches your shoulder and God moves you to act, abiding in Christ, be bold, love God, love your neighbors. And in small acts of love, be reminded that faith is a mustard seed and God waters it and it grows into a good and beautiful and bold community. May you take the act that God wants you to do today. God bless you and keep you. Amen. Jesus, thank you that we can be gathered in worship. We can be gathered in our homes. We can be gathered out in nature. We can be gathered with people all across this world in time and space and you can speak to us. So Jesus, help us abide in you. Point out to us, people who need us to be bold, to be self-sacrificial in love. And help us take those things that you've given to us, and not hold them for ourselves, but to love as you're calling us to love. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: to serve and-
3: joining us in worship today. We invite you to share this message and this this series with your friends and family on Facebook or all kinds of other social media. The link is there on Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you next week as we continue in this series and we hear about the utter importance of Jesus. Have a great week.